Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. Many years ago, we took Avery to the Jackson State Fair at the Capitol Fairgrounds. And she was about four years old. And some friends went with us who lived down the street, and they had a daughter who was the same age. And we came to the Ferris wheel. And for whatever reason, I volunteered to take them on this ride. Now, I've told you in the past that I'm not crazy about closed spaces. I am really not crazy about heights. Not my thing. Not proud to admit that, but it's not my thing. But I wanted to be a good dad. I wanted to be a fearless dad. I wanted to be a brave dad. I wanted to ride the Ferris wheel with my daughter and her friend. And so we get into the seat. And I remembered sitting down and thinking, wow, this is very Spartan. This is not an overly complicated Ferris wheel. There's not many safety features here. And as it's going up to the top, the door that closes comes unhinged and it starts flapping in the wind. And I'm sitting there with two four-year-olds. I reach over to fix it and guess what? It's not going to fix. It's broken. And we get to the top of the Ferris wheel and I am squeezing them as tight as you can possibly squeeze children without suffocating them. And then guess what happens? We get to the top and it stalls. Something has happened at the bottom. And we're at the very top. And I'm looking down at the pavement below. I'm guessing four to five stories up, maybe six. The door doesn't work. And I am holding them so tightly. And they are clinging to me that Avery says, Dad, I can't breathe. You're hurting me. Now, do you think for a second that I let off? No. I was really and truly scared. It's rocking in the air. The door's doing this, going back and forth. And all I can imagine is one of these four-year-olds going over the side. It really, it really was terrifying. I was holding on to them so tight. Now, the Ferris wheel started working again, and we made it to the bottom, and I didn't want to do it again. I just said, let us off. And so as we come to the rest of Ruth chapter 1, as I was reading through the passage this week, and it got to the particular verse where it said, Ruth clung to Naomi. That's what I thought about. Was me holding those children desperately because I loved them. And I cared about them. And I wanted to protect them. And I thought about Ruth's actions and then I realized that as we continue to walk our way through this chapter and we walk away th- We walk our way through this book. What is the imagery that we are going to see? And it is a God, it is a Father 
who loves us and He puts His arms around us and He clings to us. He doesn't let go. And we're going to be reminded of that this morning when we see Ruth and her relationship with Naomi. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You that Your Word is powerful, that it is true, that through it and the work of the Holy Spirit, You speak to us, that it is not just a book, but that Your Spirit brings it to life so that we can understand it in a salvific and sanctifying sense. So God, thank You for Your Word. And may it go forth this morning and captivate us. And may we be astounded by Your grace. Thank You for loving us and protecting us. Forgive the one who speaks. Set me aside as You and You alone speak this morning. Amen. So in case you weren't here last week, we have begun a study of the book of Ruth. And like I tend to do with all books of the Bible in the very beginning, it's important. And I like to go through the who, what, when, where, and why. So I want to do that one more time to help you to to have a bearing of where you are in the Old Testament and this book. So let's begin with who. Who is the author of Ruth? And the answer is, we do not know. Scholars will offer forth some ideas, some suggestions. Jewish tradition offers some suggestions, but in reality, most everyone says, we do not know. What is Ruth about as a narrative? It is a compelling story of God's sovereignty. You are going to see from the beginning to end that God is the main actor in the background. He is the one who is at work. He is holy and He is sovereign and He is orchestrating everything to help us better understand how God redeems His people, how He saves us and how He cares for us. And Ruth and Naomi and later Boaz is going to help us understand who God is in all His greatness. When? 1000 B.C. It was more than likely written in the reign of King David. Where? Who? And where? Well, there's two main places that this story takes place. Moab and Israel. And finally, why? Ruth was written to explain the legitimacy of King David's reign and rule over the Israelites. It's not Saul's descendants. No, they don't have a right to the throne. It is David. He has been appointed by our covenant Lord. And you're going to see in this book why David deserves to rule. Who, what, when, where, and why. So I've broken up the remaining part of chapter 1 into verses 1 through 18 and 19 through 22. If you will remember from last week, Elimelech has taken his family and he's gone to Moab. The grass, he believes, is greener on that side of the fence. But the author is giving us internal clues that tell us that it was the wrong decision. That the one whose name means my God is king 
has actually abandoned his king and his covenant promises and has gone to a pagan nation who has been a thorn in the flesh to God's people for many, many years. And so, it's a bad decision. And so his death and the death of his sons is further reminder as to why this sojourn, this journey to Moab was not the right thing to do. Notice in verses 13 and 18, Naomi speaks of the hand of the Lord against her. And then when Ruth refused to go back to her family in Moab, Naomi says no more. So if the author of Ruth was trying to help us understand Elimelech last week, he's trying to help us understand Naomi this week. If you glance at Ruth chapter 1, on some level it may appear as this kind and sweet story of a mother-in-law returning to where she's from and one daughter-in-law staying with her family and one daughter going with her. But in reality, what we can learn from this about Naomi is that she is not in a good mood. And she's not being kind to Ruth. And that if you thought Elimelech was the one who made the bad decisions, that Elimelech was the one who ran from his covenant Lord, you're getting a perspective of Naomi in 13 and 18 in particular that shows you she was in agreement with her husband that she went on this journey willingly, that she left the presence of God's people willingly, that she turned her back on her covenant Lord. Because she says, the hand of the Lord is against me. God, why did you do this to me? God, you're not fair. God, this is not right. How dare you? But if we understand the passage, we realize that the author is telling us they're the ones who were rebellious. They are the ones who didn't listen. Because in the Mosaic law, God's people were told to be faithful and to trust His promises and to obey the covenant and to worship Him. And the Lord would take care of His people as we learn from the children's message. You are my treasured possession. You are number one in my heart. And Elimelech and Naomi said, no, we know what's best. We know what we need to do. You're not caring for us like you should and like you've promised. And so she's referencing this. She's showing her hand, if you will, when she says, the Lord is against me. And then when Ruth, who has the right perspective, the proper perspective, desires to come with her, Naomi just says, whatever. Okay. And so as I read different scholars and as they interpreted this passage, it was interesting in the Hebrew how it hints at just a frustration and a disgust on the part of Naomi and the way the author phrases this in that she said no more. Okay, if that's what you want to do. No care, no concern, no love. And so we're getting a glimpse of Naomi as a person who is 
not someone to be admired in the biblical narrative which at the same time is helping us slide our attention to who? Not Elimelech, not his sons, not Naomi, but Ruth. Hey, compare and contrast. Notice her. Notice the one who David is descendant of in this passage. Pay attention. And then there is Ruth. And notice her words. I want to read this again because this is significant. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything, but death parts me from you, if anything but death parts me from you. Excuse me. So we've seen other characters in this story, and now we see Ruth, an outsider to Israel, a foreigner to Israel, a pagan, a Moabite of all things, who has the right perspective. We don't know how she came to know the Lord, but it must have been on some level and some fashion from Elimelech and Naomi in all their faults and in all their brokenness. And, Mo, and Ruth seems to have a clearer understanding of who the covenant Lord of Israel is than they do. And that's important for you to understand because it is a reminder that the gospel is for everyone. It's for Ruth the Moabite. The Lord has enabled her to see His goodness and His mercy and His love and she is going to cling to Naomi in order to go to Bethlehem to be in His presence and to be His child. So it's not the people you're expecting in this story. It's not the Israelites. It's the Moabite. And then in 19 through 22, a well-known Reformed scholar, Ian Dugan, he notes the complete uninterest that Naomi has in Ruth and the lack of remorse and repentance. They return to Bethlehem. She comes home, and the women of Israel seem only interested in Naomi. How hard that must have been for Ruth. Here's her mother-in-law, the mother of her husband who passed away. She's a Moabite from a foreign nation. She's, she's traveled in a very difficult and challenging time when there's very little support or help for widows, she's come to this town and they don't even acknowledge her. Her mother-in-law doesn't even introduce her. It continues the theme of Ruth tagging alone and Naomi having no interest in her being there. And then the thing that's that just jumps off the page as Naomi talks about the hand of the Lord on her and how she suffered. There is nothing in her 
that's willing to admit that, hey, maybe we were disobedient to the covenant. Maybe we were unfaithful to the word. Maybe we didn't love our covenant Lord like we should. And the decisions that we made to go on the other side of the fence. Instead, she says, it's the Lord's fault. And how often do we do that? Our God is gracious, our God is loving, our God is merciful, He is kind, He is steadfast, He will forgive us, He will accept us, He will set us free. But remember this, there are still consequences for sin. We're loved. We're in His family. Our names are written on His hand, as I mentioned earlier. But because we live in a fallen world, there are still consequences for our sin. And so when difficult and challenging times come upon us, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, the first thing we need to do is examine our hearts. Have I caused this? Have I sinned? Have I been disobedient? Have I transgressed the Word of God? Let it begin with ourselves. And then if we searched our hearts like King David and we can't find sin, then we turn to the Lord and we don't blame Him because He is sovereign, He is holy, and He is just, and He is good, and His promises are true all day long. We turn to the Lord and we say, Help me to understand this. Help me to understand what it is that you would have me to know through this providential act. Lord, draw near to me. Comfort me. And help me to trust you in the darkest of hours. With Naomi blaming God, we get a a window into her soul. Now there are three things that I want to mention very quickly this morning. Three things. God's grace is for outsiders. God's presence is real. God's love is sacrificial. These are the things that jumped off the page to me as I looked at the rest of Ruth chapter 1. Yes, there was the story. Yes, there was the historical facts. And there were the characters. And it's fascinating and it's interesting It's a great narrative. It's a wonderful story. But these three things in particular caught my attention. One, God's grace is for outsiders. Remember, in the Old Testament, God told Israel that you would be a priest to the nations. Worship me, love me, follow me. And I'm going to bless you like you cannot possibly imagine. I'm going to bless you so great that the nations that surround you are going to look up and they're going to see their God is the one true God and they are going to flock to Israel to be blessed by the covenant Lord. Now we know as we look at the Old Testament that this did not happen, that Israel is as rebellious and sinful as we are rebellious and sinful. But God has a heart for the nations. And we ultimately see this in the coming of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the apostles going out and the Christian faith spreading throughout the world. But even amidst Israel's failures, God is bringing 
those outside of this nation to himself. Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, the outsider, come. Come to Bethlehem. Come to the house of bread. Come here and be fed. Come be a part of my covenant family. Let me be your God and let me bestow my grace upon you. And as I'm thinking about that, I begin to think of myself. An outsider. A rebellious, sinful, fallen person whose heart is evil apart from Christ. Not my words, the Apostle Paul. That I'm a broken sinner who wanted nothing to do with God. I am born and I inherit the sin of my parents. Meaning, all the way back to the garden. Humanity has been in a continual and progressive fight against God. And I have no way, I have no access to Him through my own potential good works, through my own holiness, because I'm born with sin, I'm infected with sin, I am imperfect, and I'm dead. And that's biblical. And what does God do? He comes for me. He searches me out. He seeks me. He sends His Son on a divine rescue mission. And the Spirit comes and gives me eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that beats for Him and I am transformed and I am His child and I have nothing to do with it. It's all grace. That God loves an outsider like me. I can't earn it. There's nothing I can do to achieve it. That on my best of days, I am still contaminated with sin and dead. And He brings me to life. And He brings me to Himself. And it's all His grace. And it's all His mercy. And when I look at Ruth and I read the story... I see myself. That's how great God is and that's how wonderful He is that He extends an invitation to an outsider like me and He tells me, come home. Come home. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was His plan from the beginning of time to show us His grace through Christ Jesus. God is the show-off that I want. He is the show-off that I need. Secondly, God's presence is real. God is with Ruth. We're seeing the very beginning of it in this passage. He is bringing this young lady from this foreign nation and He is going to transport her to Bethlehem and He is going to care for her and He is going to provide for her. He is going to watch over her. Why? 
Because if we don't have Ruth, we don't have David. And if we don't have David, we don't have Jesus. And so God is caring for her. He is providentially there for her. His presence is real. Ruth is saying in our passage, I want to go to Bethlehem. I want to go to the land of Judea. I want to be in the land of promise because that is where your God is, my God. It's awesome how she sees what Naomi can't see. God is with her and He's drawing her unto Himself. Every step of the way. He is sovereign. And so when I come to Ruth, and I'm reading chapter 1 this week, it is a reminder to me that if God's presence is that real for Ruth, it is real for me. I'm not alone. I am not on my own. That He holds me in His arms. That I am under the protection of His wings. That He is my loving Father who cares for me deeply and is with me. And so I'm reminded of Deuteronomy 31.6. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. This is Israel going to the promised land. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. So in times of difficulty, in times of stress, when your problems are all around you, when you are frustrated and fearful, when it seems like God may not be there, when life is too much, we come to Ruth and we are reminded that His presence is real. And we think of Deuteronomy and we know that He will not fail us and He will not abandon us. The world may. Our friends might. Even our family. But God is saying, trust my word, trust my promises, believe that I am with you, that I care for you, and that I am for you even in the most challenging times and the darkest hours, as Ruth was experiencing. And then three, God's love is sacrificial. We've already read 16 and 17, and we saw where Ruth is laying down her life for Naomi. When she says, your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. That is something that is difficult for us to understand in this culture and this time. But in the ancient Middle East, in the very ancient Middle East, it was a complete abandonment of all things that she has known and a 100% complete trust and who God is and what He can do for the people of Israel. She's giving up everything. That's what, where you die and I will die and there will I be buried. That's what that means. It's leaving behind and moving forward. It's having no safety net. I'm clinging to you. I'm giving myself over to your people and ultimately 
to your God. Ruth is making an unbelievable sacrifice as she serves Naomi in order to come to the land of promise and to encounter Yahweh. And as I looked at this passage and I thought about this verse and I considered Ruth and her service and that she's in the line, that that she is, David is her descendant and ultimately we have to have Ruth to have Jesus. I think about my Savior. And I think about the ultimate service and the ultimate servant. Ruth was willing to serve an imperfect mother-in-law. Jesus was willing to serve God's people in their rebellion and their sin. That He comes and He gives His life for us and He serves us on the cross. He gives up everything for us. So that when we see Ruth and we see her service, we should automatically begin to think about our Redeemer and our Messiah and all that He has done for us. A great sacrifice of a great King for a group of people who are not so great. That's how deep and magnificent and unbelievable and spectacular the love of Christ is that He laid down His life for you. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, our King, our Servant, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Messiah, we worship You, we celebrate You, we honor You, We glorify You. We thank You for all that You have done for us. Help us to celebrate Your grace, to trust in Your presence, and to be thankful for Your sacrificial spirit. It's in Your name, Your glorious and holy name that we pray. Amen.